0: Me personally, and a lot of people, love going out and having a big dinner and having a big night and having a real sort of aspirational experience. You cannot have at home and just get out of your your usual world for, for a few hours. And I, still, I think maybe that's actually more important than ever.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. A few episodes ago, Peter Gilmore explained that to suggest that fine dining is dead is to suggest that creativity is dead. If fine dining was perceived as a hard sell after the first lockdown, how will it fare after being forced into a second lockdown like we're seeing in Melbourne? Will the pinnacle of our industry be more important than ever or will it be shelved as we find a new way forward? Hugh Allen is the executive chef of View de Monde in Melbourne. Hugh, how are you going?
0: I'm good, how are you? Thanks for having me.
1: I'm good, thank you. You've uh, had a pretty tough couple of months there with um, shutting down the restaurant (laughs) and reopening it again and shutting it down. Um, How are you feeling?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, okay. Like, not, not, um, you know, I'm trying to remain optimistic, but it is obviously pretty devastating and especially for all the team and and just reopening was a lot of work um you know when we shut down it was sort of late summer and now we're, when we reopened it' winter so we had to have a brand new menu and you know which we worked on and done soft openings and tastings and all those kind of things you do for and then you know it was only there for a couple of weeks and then it was locked down again so and then when we open it's you know it might be spring so it's just obviously been really, I guess, inconsistent and, and, and difficult for, for everyone, the staff, the, the, the kitchen, the front of ours, the, the admin, um, for, for all restaurants. So it's definitely not ideal, that's for sure. But you know, I guess people's health is always a priority and will always be.
1: Your restaurant overlooks the city. You know, what's, what's it looked like uh, looking down on Melbourne over the last couple of months?
0: Um, definitely quieter, definitely, definitely quieter. And and when when the when this out when the outbreak started, it was it was like dead, like the city was dead, and uh, and um you know there's no one to be seen. But when restrictions started easing, people really, really wanted to to get out and, and you, know, you know walk around the botanical gardens and and go for runs around Albert Park and and be active and do things. And then we saw a lot of, you know, a lot of places doing really well with takeaway and and take-home food and we did it for a little bit as well and it was was pretty successful. But then when things started slowly opening up, um, that was kind of the more, um, almost a more difficult period because with the restrictions of 20 people, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't, it wasn't enough for us to be open um, commercially. And then, so we sort of waited out to the 50 mark and then only got a week of that. So um, but people were, were really starting to come out um, and you could see that, you know, you could see just, you know, along the Yarra, you know, in all the parks, there's definitely more and more people coming out towards the end of the, the first lockdown, but I guess that was short-lived.
1: Can you take us through that period? You said that you were sort of open as a restaurant just for a week before the, the second lockdown and I remember seeing Pat Nurse and Danny Vallant and uh, Matt Stone and Joe Barrett all sort of there as you did some sort of soft launches and the reopening. What was it like bringing your team back together to create the restaurant again?
0: Yeah, it was, it was great. It was, it was a weird, to be honest, it was, a, it was a bit of a weird night. It was the first time having, you know, human beings that weren't a uh, staff packaging food in the restaurant. It felt great, to be honest. It felt really good. Just even cleaning the dining room, you know, all the artwork, wiping everything down, just like really sort of a sense of setting up and sort of being – Renewed and reborn, and it was exciting, and and we, we'll, you know, we're really looking forward to. it. And there's some of our big industry friends, and we just wanted to have some friends in and like, you know, test it out and sort of use them as guinea pigs. And yeah, and it went pretty well. It was, it was it was a great night, but um, it was almost. It was actually that night we were meant to open for fifty guests. The next the next day we were meant to have fifty guests, and the announcement came through the next day that you can only have 20 guests so that, cause that was the original thing is they pushed it back to 20 guests so they never let 50 guests come in and then that was short lived as well that only lasted uh, another week and then it was total lockdown again so basically we, we put off having 20 guests at a time because it wasn't commercially viable waited to the 50 mark and then had reservations in for you know in the next few months of the 50 with the 50 mark basically and then just before we did did the big sort of soft opening and then had all our friends in and then just before we could open, we got pushed back to the 20 mark. So we sort of, you know, then we were like, well, we have to open. Like we've done all this work. We've brought staff on. We've got produce in the fridge, like, you know, thousands of dollars worth of stuff. Um, and also we just we couldn't sit on our hands and feet and hands anymore and do nothing. So we're like, all right, we'll do 20 and 20. So we just did a – We we started for the, those two weeks. we open, just doing two seatings of twenty and a slightly reduced menu and cheaper menu. Um, you know, which is not the usual thing we do, but we you know we just have obviously have to be flexible. So, but yeah, that was only I guess two weeks. We're open.
1: What's been the impact with the second lockdown with staff and produce, and you know the potential future of the restaurant as well?
0: Um it's it is like basically right now the it's just in hibernation like all the staff are just hibernating basically and 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 we're not really doing anything we had a decent amount of produce in the fridge which we sort of went in and either fermented or froze or gave to one of the other restaurants around um but yeah it's 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 not good like it's it's definitely not good um it's, the main one being staff like there's been some you know, JobKeeper has been really good for businesses, but there are there are a few key people that have really missed out, and unfortunately for us, it's, it's a huge amount of our, our team. Like in a team of, a team of forty, you know, in the kitchen or 30, 30, 40 in the kitchen, we had only four of us were eligible for JobKeeper. Um, wow! Because because either you know, for example, um, the head chef. His name's Chris. He's Scottish. He's been living here for nearly six years. In a you know relatively senior position the whole time, and he's not eligible. And then you know all all my all the sous chefs are all visa workers. All been here for years. and They're not eligible. And then, so yeah, it's just, it's pretty pretty messed up that we have that many people. You know, forty on the team, and only four of us can get job keeper, me included. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's hard, and we and obviously restaurants the margins are so small that you can't you can't um, be paying people salaries with with no revenue coming in um, for a long period of time. Yeah, and I think I think it's also it's a good time to, to really look at how restaurants are operated and run and and the business models because you know there's been so much emphasis on wages and and, and pay scandals and all these kind of things but I think it it also does highlight a good point as well you know we need to make restaurants also commercially viable so when things happen they have some sort of support to be able to support staff and other situations but most restaurants I've spoken to a lot of people in the industry especially in Melbourne most of them have three weeks cash flow three four weeks cash flow as in if there's no revenue coming in for three four weeks they, they don't have any money left the bank's empty um, and most other businesses you know bigger companies would run on six months at least cash flow, 12 months cash flow, that they could, you know, pay staff and and uh, operate without any revenue coming in for, for that kind of period of time. So, you know, but a lot of things need to change for, for restaurants to be, you know, safer, safer commercially.
1: What are the keys to making them commercially viable?
0: Um, educating consumer that food's too cheap. I think that's you know, and myself included, like we, we can go out for dinner. People even in the industry, you or I or any other, you know, industry people go out for dinner and, and have something and think, well, wow, that was, you know, get the bill. And even if you had a nice night, you still have the sense of, wow, that was pretty expensive um, because you had to a bottle of wine and you had some food and you leave think, wow, that was, you know, Jesus, I spent, you know, 150 bucks there and I thought I just had like some pasta and wine. Um, and so we're very, very, very money, value-orientated in Australia, um, which you don't really have the same kind of vibe in, in, in Europe. I live in Copenhagen and, and restaurants there and, and things are uh, much more expensive. And, you know, a coffee is $8. You know, you go get a latte at a cafe, it's $8. If you go out for dinner, um, you know, if you have a degustation menu at a restaurant and a wine match, you're spending 800 to thousand dollars per person, you know, if mm. if a restaurant charged that kind of money here, it'd be it'd be empty, because we have such a, you know what is value, what is what's the, what should things cost, and right now restaurants aren't really allowed to charge that much, and people wouldn't come if we, they did charge that much, but with you know with staff being paid what they're paid, which is a good which is you know is a good thing, but also the margins are getting tighter and tighter. And, um, you know, staff are getting more and more expensive foods getting more and more expensive and, and restaurant prices aren't really moving, um, because the consumer wouldn't come. So there's a few things that need would need to happen for restaurants to be a better business. Firstly, you know, the industry award, you know, the confusing thing it is, um, needs to be like just simplified It needs to, there can't be so, such black and white, um, you know confusing once they've done 10 hours they go to this once they've done you know once it's a sunday they go to this once they've done this many shifts in a row they go to this it's just like a jumble of of thing and and it's being a chef is not considered or even being a front of house professional is not considered a career anymore it's considered just like you're working in a cinema or working in a fast food joint or working at you know a a little coffee shop in the corner because you're a student part-time student that's what it seemed like but if you're a career if you're if it's a career, like like for me or for many people, young people, being a chef is, is their career and they want to go work overseas and they want to travel and they want to do work in these amazing restaurants. They want to have a place of their own, you know, and they want to do all these steps to do that. Just like in any field, whether it's in journalism or consulting or business or corporate or banking or photography or whatever it is, it's a career. And then you would go, you'd work, you'd learn from the best. Um, and you'd really dedicate yourself in the, in the industry to then be a real, true industry professional, and then get you know really good, high-paying jobs. But right now, it's seen as chefs are seen as, an all front of house are seen as like a it's just like a shift work, casual cinema job, selling popcorn. Like it's and you know it should be seen as a career. If a young chef wants to work, you know, forty hours more than 40 hours just to stay back and help, you know, and see how to fill a fish better or, you know, right now restaurants don't have the backing, the, the financial capability because the margins are tight. So be like, yeah, no worries. You stay back. We'll pay you for three more hours and you can do the fish with us. It's a case of no, 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 you go, you go, you go, like clock out, clock out, go because, you know, they're just, restaurants just don't have the money and then you, you people will miss out. And then it's, 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 going to become you know australian chefs are going to go backwards in their in their education and training um yeah sorry for the ramble there but it's it's true like you've seen much much more more talented chefs coming out of places like scandinavia and, and the states and um in europe just you know because they're really dedicated and they really work and they they're seen as like a, it's seen as a profession right right now with all these awards and all how restaurants are working. The chefs are seen as, you know, a very casual cinema style job, and talent's going back
1: backwards. View de Mond is the flagship of Shannon Bennett's View Group, and it's a super premium restaurant. How are you feeling about that part of the industry, that fine dining side of things, given the pandemic and um, what may follow?
0: I mean, it's it is scary. Obviously, I heard uh, I think it was Pat Noss was on. On here and saying he's never felt or someone a food writer said he's never felt less essential, and I think it's the same kind of thing for fine dining restaurant in one sense, like food is essential. A twelve uh, course degustation is not essential. Um. So, you know, it it is it is like well, if you were a chef, like it's much more. It, you you feel much more better and essential I guess if you're working in a hospital kitchen or you know a fair share or one of these um, sort of community kitchens versus a an expensive fun dining restaurant but at the same time like me personally and a lot of people love going out and having a big dinner and having a big night and having a real sort of aspirational experience you cannot have a home and just get out of your your usual world for for a few hours, and I so I think maybe that's actually more important than ever. You know, if you know all you see on the news right now is virus, this case numbers, outbreak here, outbreak in the pub, and in Sydney, up Victoria, massive outbreak. You know, if it is a, an escape, if you can go into a, a beautiful restaurant and have amazing service and eat some of the best produce and food in, in the country, and just be looked after and nourished for a few hours, then if you look at it that way, then I think it is and will stay around and be be here for the long term. I don't think fine dining will necessarily go anywhere. I hope not anyway.
1: You're actually still still quite a young man. I think I was already in the workforce by the time you were born and um, you were executive chef of Udamonde in your early 20s. Um, what was that like being so young and in control of one of the most influential restaurants in Australia's history
0: Um, it was, it was exciting and it kind of just it's kind of just happened um, and I would say you know for there's a very a very there's a very lot of people that already work at Vi that obviously made the transition really easy and have been super supportive the whole time I think if uh, you know, I got the position, and then you know, people went out after after me to, you know, not welcome me with open arms, and it could have been a very different onboarding. But no, the the team, like um, especially the senior team, is super supportive and always have been in the front, both front of house, admin, and the kitchen. Um, and so it's been, yeah, it's been it was a new learning experience. But I was an apprentice at Vinamon. Um, when we when we moved up to the Rialto, actually just just around that time, and when Shannon was really involved, and and we just we always got along, and and Shannon Bennett was twenty four when he opened vitamon so I guess it's it's not new to being a young person, sort of you know as a face or as a personality there as a chef there. Um, you know, Shannon's always very young. He, you know, he's still young. He's forty-five, and he's you know, he's what he's accomplished. Like he's still a young guy. Like technically, um, but so like it's not. It's it's always been an ambitious young place, and I think, you know, Shannon wanted wanted someone young, and we turned twenty this year. Vinemon opened in two thousand, so it's it's twenty years old now. Wow. Um, which for a restaurant to be, you know, not to blow smoke up um uh, the restaurant house if it has one but um you know it's it's uh it's pretty amazing that a restaurant that's 20 years old is still so relevant and so and still busy and still um you know just is a, is a great place to come and eat i think anyway um so yeah i'm i'm really excited and we we we've big goals for the restaurant for another 20 years as well so yeah i think young is good sometimes and, but it definitely, it's, it's I've got definitely got an amazing sport team that make it really, very really easy.
1: Feudemond has always had that French aspect to it and you've been a part of the transformation to be more contemporary. Can you tell us about the food and offering there and how it's changed?
0: Yeah. Um, it's still very much on its sort of journey away from what it was. When it opened um, in 2000, it, opened, it was a little restaurant in in Carlton, in Drummond Street, um, and it was a very traditional French restaurant. Shannon had done his sort of training in, in London and at, um, you know, really classic restaurants under Marco Pioi and I think it was John Burton Race as well, um, but really, really classic sort of French-style restaurants. And that was his training. That's what he opened. But when, when you know, as he sort of got, got a little older, he's still young, but when he, as he got a little older and, and – Wanted to keep progressing. You know, he never wanted to stay in a little terrace house in Drum Street. He always wanted it to be sort of become a bit of an institution in Melbourne, and and with that, he thought he needed to get away from um, sort of the classic French, and become more focused on where he was, and and that's obviously Australia and where Australia was going. So. Yeah, he sort of the the journey started since he really opened, and then two thousand five he moved to Normandy Chambers, which is in Little Collins Street, and that's you know he had that's when he started having sort of head chefs, and they would have their own sort of take and in, influence on the on the menus, and then I'd say in two thousand and eleven when they moved upstairs, that's when the the vision changed more dramatically um, to be to really focus on. Um, australia and modern australia and and that's why you know the the, the tables are all covered in kangaroo leather um because he's really big on sustainability so there's no tablecloths there's no washing there's not a huge amount of water wasted um all the artwork's australian and you know it's really sort of that modern and and sexy and it's a beautiful place and the chef at the time was named Corey campbell and Corey was um he was one of the original sous chefs at noma when it opened um and one of the really, really early guys when Noma, before Noma was Noma. Um, and, and I think Corey was sort of really changed sort of the style and, and and really sort of went from French to 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 a modern Australian restaurant. I'd say he was sort of the, the biggest influence there. Um, yeah. And then we're still on that journey.
1: Well, you're still quite young, but do you remember when you first stepped into a restaurant kitchen and how you felt to begin your career?
0: Um, yeah, I was t- shocking. I was at Rockpool, actually. Um, I did my work experience at Rockpool in Melbourne. And I was, yeah, as a high school student, I did my, my work experience. And I actually remember thinking at the end of the shift, like, fuck this. I'm not doing this. It's a shocking job. <laughs> it's you know, I don't want to be fucking told what to do. I was, you know, fourteen. Obnoxious teenager. Um, you know, I was just I was did front of house and back of house um from my experience and and just like it, I just thought the kitchen was just like sort of nasty and, and you know, just a bit cowboy and not cowboys in like a sense you're using a chef term as in like you're not doing thing the right way, you're just a bit loose than you'd see in a, in a school or a normal business, um, but I was kind of like, you know, I'm not sure about this. Maybe I changed my mind, and I was set on being a chef when I was young. Um, I loved food and, and and cooking, and just like watching like anything like whether it's Jamie Oliver on TV. I just loved watching cooking and things, and so I wanted to do it. But after my work experience, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. But one of the chefs, sous chefs, there was a guy called Nick. Um, and he really took me on his wing. We actually went to the same high school. Um, he was there, you know, years before me, but we, we worked out went to the same high school. And he kind of really looked after me. And then, after my work experience, I offered me an apprenticeship. And then, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, well, I guess I should do that. I spoke to my parents, and they were really supportive. So that was it. Started my apprenticeship at Rockwell a few months after that. And I was, yeah, just 15, no, 16.
1: Wow. and you spent a bit of time over in Denmark as well at, at noma how did that transform you as a chef
0: uh oh, it was amazing um yeah i went to so after i finished my apprenticeship i was in vietnam for a bit but then you know i was always always wanted to live overseas and i guess still and then especially it was scandinavia was the place to be um and no more sort of the restaurant to go to. Um, so I really wanted to go there. And yeah, I just sort of sent my my head to work in there. So I basically just bought a got my visa, working holiday visa, and and a um, plane ticket went over. And I emailed asking if I could, just like stage or trial or whatever, just hang out, work for free, for however long. I said I'm looking for a job, but I understand this. I'm sure there's a big queue, and you, you, blah blah blah. Um, and I just got an email back saying, like, you know, hey, yes, we have no positions, but if you're in town, you want to um, trial or hang out, you can you can come down. So I basically just rocked up and did I think three weeks there, and this is just before this is before No Australia. Um, and yeah, anyway, I loved it, and it was intense. It was like it was another level, like you know. There's like 40 chefs on the shift, 25 interns upstairs. Um, you know, Renee was there every day, really hands-on, um, just intense, like fucking intense, like just music blasting. I just remember the music before we, like before Avignon Mom, we, we weren't ever allowed music playing. That's all changed now, but like it was very sort of more traditional sense and, and maybe strict for the sake of being strict but anyway no more would blast like heavy metal music or like just ma- like hip like really hardcore sort of hip-hop and it was just blasting. i just remember thinking like how the fuck do you guys concentrate and he, anyway you got kind of used to it But it was just amazing and they're going to know australia and so ben who's the head chef there um really really lovely guy he's canadian um just really calm and and focused, and just really, really great leader. But he was his girlfriend, not not then, but to be was Australian. So he, he's just got on well, and he loved Australia. He worked at Bray, um, in in uh, Victoria, and so yeah, we got on well. I was just saying, well, if, if you know you guys are in Australia, I'd love to come as well, and I guess hang out and <laughs> work for free or whatever it is, um, as you do. And he was like, yeah, you know, obviously Australia has really strict labor laws and you know you can't you can't just you can't just be there for work experience like there's all these rules and blah 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 and you know as we do we make everything really difficult um but i was like well what if i'm trialing like what if we can say it's a trial he's like okay that's, we will do that we'll say it's a trial so basically if anyone comes and asks from you know the work ombudsman or whatever just say you're trialing for a job so Anyway, sure enough, I was there a few months later, just, in, you know, staging, interning, and an onwards man came and was asking people for their, you know, work rights and all this stuff and the, the students, the interns of what they were doing and where their degree was or whatever it was. Anyway, someone came up to me and I think I just bullshitted. I said, like, oh, I'm a sous chef here and I'm Australian, so I don't need a work right. And a few of the chefs heard my, me and thought it was kind of funny that I was just – I went straight for a – a joke of a senior position. Um, And, yeah, and then I just just got on well with them. And then there was a position opened up um, basically right after Noma Australia and I was sort of at the right place at the right time and and got the job. And, yeah, and that was it. It was amazing. And then from there we did Noma, uh, Copenhagen, Mexico, and then opened the new Noma. And I came home sort of October 2018. So, yeah, it it was I think it's sort of the perfect time to be there really, like between, you know, the pop-ups, Old Noma and New Noma. So I'm really, really grateful to have been there for the time. And it was just, yeah, it was amazing.
1: So what's the plan at the moment? You did a takeaway model in the last lockdown and um, you've locked down for at least six weeks at the moment. What What's the plans with the group?
0: Well, we need to do something because like before with the – the four people on JobKeeper out of, you know, a team of 40, 50, 50 guys. So, you know, we need to do something to, to try to get as many people working in some form as possible. So we'll probably look at doing a take-home thing again, maybe slightly differently. Um, before we were doing, you know, you could just order one meal, like one, one truffle risotto or something um, and that was it. But it's probably too much work for, for the for the, the, the price because um, it's was, it was pretty cheap. So we'll probably look at sort of more sort of at-home meals, packages. We're talking with a collaboration with uh, an orchestra to do like a live streaming sort of concert dinner. Wow. Um, and a few ideas like that. So, we'll, yeah, there's a few things we're working on now, but we need to do something for the next sort of five weeks um, and we'll do something, hopefully something really cool. And, yeah, keep get many people working again. But we are just, you know, we just want to reopen again, obviously. But, you know, it could be more than six weeks. So we have to do something.
1: How have you felt during this time? and Has it affected your food um, that you want to do in the restaurant when it does open up again?
0: Um, yeah, well, it does because more than ever, we're more cost-sensitive, price-sensitive within any you know, there's sort of no real room for flexibility when there maybe was before a little bit. If you want to do a certain dish with certain ingredients, you could sort of make it happen by, you know, jigging things around, but there's not really any flexibility anymore. I think with the first lockdown, you know, we'd just come out of trade and it was okay. But now going back into this for another six weeks of with no revenue, it's you know, it's we're going to open up and be really, really, um, you know, strict and not tight like we still use all the things we want to use but just really 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 strict with usage and and you know it'll be a case of you know only the sous chefs can break down the wagyu or only the you know things like that where it's not it's not great for the team you know it's it's great if you know you can get an apprentice and break down the the animals with them or things like that but when you're when financially the situation is what it is with in the world you know you have to you have no room for error no room for waste Um, so yeah, it's, you know, things will change slightly with, with how we operate and run. But in terms of the food and the menu, you know, we'll still do what we want to do and and still give the guests what the experience we want to give the guest just in, uh, you know, in in the COVID world.
1: How does it feel in Melbourne at the moment compared to the first time you were locked down?
0: Um, I think people like, I went around the botanics the other yesterday, actually and there's a lot of people around out, and I think people are kind of almost resistant. Like no one's, no one's doing the you know the wrong thing, as in like having House parties or not that I know of, anything like that. Because police are out in force, and you do see the in force, you know, there's police horses, um, you know, riding around, police cars everywhere. But you know, people are out, people are exercising, and people walking for you know. You know, going for a walk because that's exercise for you know hours and getting takeaway coffees and you know that kind of thing. Like people really sort of resisting that. That's sort of what I see anyway. Um, so yeah, like it is. It is, and it's cold. It's Melbourne. You know, it's it's not. It's Melbourne, so it's been rainy and cold. But so it's it's definitely no one wants it this time. Like it's not obviously no one wants any lockdown, but you can definitely feel it. Like you know
1: like this uh, like definitely what have you been doing over the last couple of months has has this experience changed you
0: um me as a person no I don't think so I'm still I'm still really energetic and excited and and there's things I want to really want to achieve and and do with the restaurant and, and with the team and and with, with lots of different things and I still have that that hasn't changed um personally what I've been doing, I've been trying to be in, being healthier, exercising more. Um, you know, I, f- I feel you know, exercise has come sort of more of a daily routine. I almost feel like you know, when you haven't showered and you kind of feel not that I am saying you don't shower, but you know, if you haven't had a shower in a while, <laughs> you kind of feel a little gross, and it, and you kind of feel like you can't start your day, or like sometimes you just get in the shower because you are like, oh, I feel I feel rank, I need a shower. It's you know exercises sort of come a bit like that. Like when you when you haven't done any exercise or anything, whether it's a walk or anything basic, you kind of feel like a bit of a slob and kind of gross, like you haven't showered. So exercise, you know, I'm trying to do and just even if it's like a, a run or do a little YouTube funny little YouTube workout, like no ex- no weights YouTube workout or something, nothing crazy, just exercising. Um, what else? Been doing reading a lot. Um, just cookbooks I love cookbooks um, photography I really like photography I'm not a photographer by any chance by any means but I really like um, taking photos especially with food and ingredients um, I spend a lot of time just taking photos of different ingredients at work probably too much time um, yeah I want to get my driver's license done I've never driven a car so that's my goal for the end of the, end of the <laughs> year is yucky. And it's becoming a real big problem when I'm getting like a one of my commies to to drive up to the farm or something. I need a you know an apprentice to drive. So <laughs> to get my driver's license is um um a goal for you know for the year. So yeah, these kind of things, I guess, which I, I usually never have time for. Um yeah.
1: There's no doubt that there's some challenges ahead. What do you think the impact will be of this second lockdown on the industry and are there some positives and opportunities moving forward out of this? Uh,
0: to be positives out of this, I don't know. I really don't. Um, I feel like some people, you know, have found some business have found opportunities like, you know, whether it's a take-home food models or an online store or something that, you know, they'll keep post-pandemic and it's going to be, you know, really good for them for us what we do is you know what i love doing is having guests in the restaurant in a in a busy full restaurant um serving you know great food and great wine so you know limitations in any form is is not positive for us um but i'm sure there are some positives for
1: people um yeah what do you love about
0: what you do um i we love cook, cooking for people um I love, I love, I love having guests in, you know, having a night when the best night, an ideal night is when you have guests in and you can tell they're really, really just having a good time. And it's not, it's not really about the food or the wine or whatever. It's just the buzz in the room and you really know it. It's like, I'm sure it's the same for a musician when they get doing a concert and the crowd's just great. It's just it makes the concert better, and if the if the crowd's good, in a restaurant, if the vibes good in the room, the vibes good everywhere. You know, the vibes good in like we always say, um, moods contagious. Like if someone rocks up in a bad mood at work, it can be me, it can be anyone. It's a very contagious thing, a mood, whether it's a staff member or guest or whatever. So if if the the manager's in a bad mood. I'm sure everyone's been in this scenario and you know, you know, your managers or your boss or your head chef or whatever's in a bad mood. It's sort of contagious thing that flows to the kitchen porter or to the, you know, polishers. Bad mood spread. Um, so if a guest is in a great mood and, and we're in a great mood and just the whole place is in a great mood and it's buzzing, that's what I love. Um, that's they're the best nights. And and just yeah, that's it.
1: Well, if all things go to plan You'll be opening up again in spring. What can we expect on a spring menu at Butemond?
0: Um, We'll see. We'll get, we'll get cracking. I guess we have to make a new menu. Lots of, you know, that's when shoots are young and, and, and fresh and beautiful. So I think really light, um, you know, really plant-focused. Um, yeah, and just light and plant-focused and fresh, um, bright, um, yeah, we've been thinking about a lamb feast for a while, just like a full lamb, whole lamb, all the different parts, in sort of a feasty form. Maybe we'll crack that out, but, um, yeah, um, that's something we'll, we'll start working
1: on. That sounds good. But, yeah. Well, Hugh, um, good luck. I know it's pretty tough times down there and, uh, but you're a pretty amazing young man. Um, and you are incredibly young still, um, but have achieved so much already in your life. Um, good luck with this lockdown and stay stay strong and um, thanks for speaking to us.
0: Thanks so much. Go, uh, go have a beer in a pub for the Victorians that can't, so enjoy, guys.
1: <laughs> this is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep.